Are you or a loved one stuck or frozen in addiction recovery? Are you inspired to drop old and limiting beliefs about who you really are? Process your emotions, disarm the inner critic, and move from self-loathing to self-embracing with Melissa Armstrong Coaching. With online one-on-one -on -one coaching, small group coaching, and workshops, Melissa Armstrong can help you find the magic in the darkness. Check out Melissa Armstrong at www.strongarm.ca. That's www.strongarm.ca. It has been said that the opposite of addiction is not sobriety, it's human connection. Here, we connect anonymously. This is Addicts in the Dark with Quick Nick. Yeah, 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 yeah. This, this fits the vibe we're, we're going for, right? New music, new season. Same podcast. One anonymous caller, one hour, and two rules. No names, no exact locations. It's caller 21 and their story about addiction. in the dark hey hey how's it going it's going well man how, how are you today i'm good thanks thanks for calling in by the way yeah well it's uh i, I think what you're doing is really good stuff you know for people who are struggling with addiction it's nice to hear other people's stories you know it certainly helped me hear other people's stories. Now you're you're ready to return the favor. <laughs> if you can call it that, I don't know, cautionary tale maybe, or well, anyway. You know the rules, right? That's right. Yep. No names, no places. Awesome. So, tell me your story about addiction. Well, Nick, uh, my story with addiction, um, I'm sure, like a lot of people, crept up. Um, over the years, before you know it, you look back and you say, "Hey, maybe, maybe I am an addict." I, uh, you know, uh, when I was a teenager, I was very against drugs, alcohol, smoking. But you know, being a young musician, um, idolized a lot of people who were into that stuff. Um, I was age appropriate that Kurt Cobain dying had a, had a pretty big impact on me, and I, I think. That although age appropriate to to worship a guy like that, uh, I don't know if it was age appropriate to have him as a as a role model. But uh, but anyway, digressing. I started smoking when I was uh, in high school, and you know, uh, towards the end of high school, started drinking here and there. You know, in uh, in my early twenties, started playing shows with bands, and then drinking a lot and. Things just kind of snowballed professionally. You know, I um, worked in a music store, and then after being let go from there, I worked in a uh, computer parts shop and got let go from there. And I just sort of, you know, stumbled bit by bit um, through all these different jobs. So one day I'm 
I'm working a shift at a pizza place and a buddy of mine who I'd worked with at the computer shop got, uh, um, got me an interview with a fairly large fruit themed computer company. Um, I'll, I'll leave that there. But anyway, so I'm on my smoke break at this pizza shop. Um, and I, uh, I get hired at this company and I got just a few weeks to not only get a passport and, um, get, uh, I, I've got to find a place to live in uh, a city I've never lived in before that I know nobody in. This job with this computer company gave me more money than I'd ever had in my entire life. Um, and of course, being unsupervised, my boss being in a completely different part of the country, I uh, I, I started spiraling. Uh, I thought I was doing pretty well for a while, and that you know, it's just living the high life, living like a rock star, and not really noticing all the destruction um, that I was causing around me, trashing friendships, uh, trashing you know work relationships, um, really kind of just burning every bridge and things got worse if you can believe that so after living in this new city for three years or so getting ready for a big day the following day there was a, a fairly significant product launch happening that i had to be up and ready and um at uh, at work for um and i passed out uh, with my alarm clock, my, my phone in a completely other part of my apartment and woke up two hours late, rolled in like nothing had happened. Then I get a phone call from my boss said, you need to get your stuff and you need to leave the building. Don't say anything to anybody. You are on paid suspension until we figure out what we're going to do with you. And me being the crafty son of a bitch that I am. I knew that if I was in rehab that they couldn't fire me. I knew I was, I was, they were probably going to, they were probably going to fire me. So, uh, that day I, uh, I, I got my ass to rehab. It was a, it was an outboard outpatient program. Uh, I checked in twice a week and actually had, had, uh, check-ins, uh, once a week with head office. They kept me on and I thought I was doing well. Now, I mean, in rehab, it's funny. I I insisted I didn't need to quit drinking. I just needed to manage it. So I'm doing my check-ins. I'm going to work. I'm only drinking on weekends. Um, things are going fairly well, but like I said earlier, not really realizing all the damage I'd caused around me. Uh, I was on a work trip um, where you know, a, a, like a regional sales conference with all the other people in from all the different cities that do my job and we went out to dinner and I had a beer with my dinner sitting across from my boss and the head of the region for our company and um, I didn't think anything of it but you know eventually they, they pulled me aside and said what are you doing I said what do you mean well you're drinking you're not supposed to be drinking I said well you know I, I we're not working right now he's like well th this is a work trip wait wait hold up yep were you the only person drinking at this dinner? No. See, that's fucked up. I was, I, um, it was like after, you know, you'd like a typical nine to five. We're at the, we're at the regional office 
and then we went out to dinner um as as a group um and uh and i mean i was on uh like an employment probation uh, um, okay. i just didn't understand the terms of the probation as uh, uh as well as i i thought i might have um in that i figured that because we weren't at work work that uh, i i'd be fine to have a drink with dinner and it turns out I was I was wrong. Now whether that was just an excuse for them to shit can me or not, um, I, I guess I'll never know. But uh, you know that's that's sort of how that went down. But you weren't engaging in any behavior that was different to that of your coworkers. So in in a way, you're being singled out for having an addiction problem. Yeah, yeah. In a sense, that's that's very true. And like this contract. Did they put this shit in the fine print or something? Right. <laughs> I, and you know what? I mean, this was some time ago. This was, this was well, just about a decade ago now. And um, I, I know there was a, like a document signed, but I don't remember, you know, anything pertaining to like work-related outings, right? Um, and I mean, to that end, you know, I wasn't making an ass of myself. And not only that, but we did these outings like, well, we did these these regional conferences every quarter. So there had been, there was at least one, maybe two regional, you know, get togethers where I had drank and it hadn't been like whether, you know, my, I'd mentioned that and, uh, and my, my direct report, my boss said, well, he hadn't noticed. So anyway, um, you know. <laughs> long time ago and whether whether they just use that as an excuse to get rid of me um I, i'll never know okay so they did fire you in the end yep so at 30 i needed to move home move in with my parents started working as a delivery driver just to get back on my feet i don't, I don't know what it was but at one point there i just stopped no more drinking and i just had my pot and i had my cigarettes and i thought you know I, I handled that well for for a few years you know left the the delivery job got into selling um cars and um you know started making money moved out of my parents place met a girl we we had a, a baby and you know it looked like things were going really well and I don't know what possessed me to do it, but I, I wasn't working any kind of program. I thought I was fixed and just one, you know, maybe, maybe I can manage drinking. Maybe, you know, I just need to do it differently this time. And like I alluded to earlier with, you know, not realizing you have a problem and having it creep in, you know, it started with just having a beer or two with my buddies and hiding it from my girlfriend and uh, then she found out and I said, you know, I, I convinced her that, well, you know, you didn't know because uh, it wasn't a problem. And, you know, I can have a drink or two with, with a meal or have a couple of drinks on the weekend when we're just hanging out and it's not a problem. And uh, I thought that was true. I really did. But um, during this time where I was reintroducing alcohol into my life, um, I started having uh, psychotic breaks, I realized that I had been suppressing some abuse that had happened when I was very young, four, three and four years old. 
um, that I, I only just began to acknowledge within the last five years. Um, so, and, and the stresses of having a young child with his own intellectual challenges brought a lot of pressure along with it. Um, and I, I began to spiral again. I didn't realize it because I was getting up and going to work every day and that was fine. But, you know, it wasn't just hiding drinks from my partner. I was hiding, you know, the fact that I was, um, uh, dealing with a sex addiction and soliciting photos and favors from, from other women online. And, um, that also spiraled and, uh, culminated in, um, an arrest. My rock bottom was the police showing up at my work and telling me this girl claims that you've been harassing her online and here you go. Here's your, I forget what they call it, but anyway, you know, um, had to go through the course, found my way to, to sex addicts anonymous. And that was, I can't tell you such, such a big help. I separated from uh, my son's mother and moved out for the better part of a year. Um, PS, this whole criminal issue that I was going through, uh, was also first wave COVID-19 pandemic. So life was just fucking upside down. I was more suicidal than ever, like suicide ideation. I bought a, I bought a 300 pound rope. I even hung it up in the garage and, uh, I came really close. Uh, I, I used, um, some supports we, we have where I'm from, a a 24 hour mental health crisis line that, uh, I, I made quite good use of that summer. Um, I, I got sober August 22nd of 2020 and I quit smoking September 3rd of 2020. And since then I have slipped on cigarettes a couple of times, but I have not drank and I'm, an active member of AA. I don't do SAA anymore, but I, I, you know, the, the principles are, are, are quite the same. Really focused on being a good partner and um, how I can help. And it took a long time to rebuild the trust um, between my son's mother and myself. And we're still working on it. It's still not, it's still not perfect, but I can say that we, we communicate a lot better than we ever did, even, you know, before all of this. Uh, we, we separated in September of 2020 and, um, saw each other once a week or twice a week just so I could see my son. And then we, um, I started staying over more often, um, in May of 2021. It was, I think, third wave pandemic or something. Anyway, the, the way the regulations were around here that they didn't want us moving in and out of different zones of the area I'm in. So, you know, to, in order to see my kid and help out, um, you know, I was staying here uh, on the couch and taking the time to to really show that she's worth working on myself for. And uh, it's it's uh, it's been great. I, I moved in full time later that summer and I've been here ever since. And I wouldn't say it's happily ever after. You know, um, I still take my recovery very seriously, but it's it's nice that instead of blowouts that used to result in me just 
locking myself away and getting high and, and drunk um, that, um, you know, we, we actually work through things and, and, and talk. I have seen more growth, not just in myself, but in her um, over the last year. It's been absolutely wonderful. I now understand why at the beginning of the phone call, you said this is a cautionary tale because you built yourself up only to have it all fall down again. So congratulations on falling down twice and getting up three times. Thank you. So you've talked about the impact that drinking has had on your life, but can you talk about what you were like problem drinking? Like what did problem drinking look like in your case? Uh, I'm, I'm glad you asked, you know, that's right. I sort of glossed over all that stuff. Um, in my 20s, back, um, like I, I graduated high school in the early 2000s, um, and basically that decade, my, my drinking escalated. Um, I can think of a few pretty interesting stories. I was on a work orientation, and they flew us out to a different province to see the head office and all of this, and we stayed in this hotel that, um, my company had a, had a good relationship with. They always had their new hires through this hotel. Well, I was at the hotel bar, uh, I think the second night we were there, just having a couple of drinks and studying. And this, uh, I don't know, probably middle-aged guy shows up with this girl about my age who's very attractive. But anyway, we all ended up sitting together and chatting and drinking. Um, and her and I were sort of getting each other's attention under the table. And I motioned to go to the bathroom and she followed me in and we uh, we had sex there and um, I thought that was that. So I go back to the bar and I'm drinking some more. Uh, I'm not sure what happened to them, but uh, later in the evening, I'm coming back from the bar up to my room and I bump into her and she's crying. She said that the guy that she's with has been absolutely crazy and that she needs my help. So I bring her up to my room that I was sharing with another one of my uh, colleagues and uh, <laughs> ended up banging in the shower and um, being quite obnoxious. Um, my colleague ended up staying on the floor in uh, another one of our, our colleagues' rooms. And um, I woke up to just mess everywhere and an open bottle of Clamato. And this middle-aged man banging on the door asking where this girl is and uh oh gosh it must be i don't know quarter after seven in the morning you know we got to get to orientation for like eight thirty or 9 and um i slide by him and i go down to the hotel lobby while he just continues to bang on the door uh, demanding that this girl come out so I'm in my underwear in the hotel lobby, and I go to the uh, the person at the front desk, and I ask, you know, uh, is there any security on duty? And he said, no, you know, we don't usually have security on duty, on, you know, on, on a weekday morning. Said, okay, that's all I needed to hear. So I went back up to the floor uh, where he was still banging on the door, demanding she comes out, and I just lunged at the guy. And I started beating the shit out of this guy. The police were called. Uh, they they interviewed me and they interviewed him separately. All the while, I'm in my boxers and I uh, my colleagues 
are coming off the elevator, getting ready to go. And here I am talking to the cops hungover. Um, anyway, it didn't result in charges, thankfully. Um, but, uh, it got, word got around. So I get back to, uh, my, uh, my hometown, show up to work and my, my direct report, my boss from there said, you know, boys will be boys, but you are now 110% on the radar and you really can't screw this up. Um, and I, I screwed it up. <laughs> I was showing up late every day and, uh, borrowing money, uh, like getting cash advances on my paycheck and stuff like that. Anyway, so I lasted at the, that job about three months. And this was before um, uh, the pizza. Um, now, fast forward a little bit. When I was working in that new town on my own, you know, with uh, no, no ties to this town, I would routinely wake up like on the other side of town, like there's a, a bridge going through town. I'd wake up on the other side of the bridge, not knowing how I got there. I'd wake up with crazy bruises and bumps. Uh, I would, I lived just a few blocks from the, uh, from my favorite bar. And so I would drink until uh, last call. I finished my drink as the bar was closing down and I'd walk home. And this happened many, many times that uh, it would be pitch black out when I uh, I left the bar and then the sun would be out by the time I got home. And I have no recollection of what would happen in, uh, in between. And I found a lot of evidence that I would just pass out in a ditch. Um, when I got the alcohol dependence under control and after I hit what I thought was my rock bottom and then was drinking with my, you know, my partner and, you know, the new kid and all of this, like, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm an adult now stuff. Um, if I drank too much, uh, there was one night that I got out of bed and I just um, started pissing just in the corner of the, of the bedroom on a really expensive rug. My partner's like, uh, what are you doing? And I, I, I don't have any recollection of this, but she was very upset, as you can imagine. And a lot of it just just hiding, just, you know, just shutting down, stonewalling. Um, I don't need to hear any of this. I'm just going to do my own thing and you do your own thing. Go to bed. I'm going to watch music videos and just get fucking plastered because um, that's, you know, that, that's normal drinking. And at what point does that behavior lead to talking to other women um i think just as a part of escapism escapism um when um i was not communicating with uh with my partner it was pushing me uh further and further into my into my cell phone and so you know chatting with strangers on instagram um uh you know people that i knew of but you know had not met and, uh, yeah, it, uh, it, it, that sort of spiraled to where, um, my partner and I didn't have much of a sex life because, uh, I was just so preoccupied with, um, getting my, getting my, uh, excitement through my, through my telephone. If I'm being honest too, you know, I, I still do struggle with the sex addiction bit a, a little bit, you know, there's no, unlike a bottle or like, um, 
you know, a joint or, or whatever that you can put down, you know, I'm pretty reliant on my cell phone. Um, and there's no, like, where's the line? What's too much? What's, uh, there's, there's so much ambiguity with, with, uh, an issue like, like sex addiction. I've given it a lot of thought. Something I was thinking about, by the way, you mentioned Kurt Cobain and we all know, I'm sure you know, smells like teen spirit. Yeah. The song is actually meant to be a call to arms by Kurt Cobain because he was, you know, disgusted with his generation and their attitude. And mm. he was basically telling the kids to wake the fuck up and they wouldn't. <laughs> I, you know, I'd never really thought of it that way. That's really, that, that's a really astute observation. I, 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 it's probably pretty obvious. I didn't expect to live past 27 either. You know, you got that whole 27 club with Kurt Cobain and Janis Joplin and Jimi Hendrix. And and, and and wouldn't you know, my old girlfriend who decided to check out early, checked out at 27. It's just like, whatever that is. So, so I went into my 30s, yeah, newly sober, but also not knowing what the fuck I was doing, you know. Jim Morrison, also a member of the 27 club, Amy Winehouse, too. That's right. Uh, yeah, that's right. Legend has it many members of the 27 Club sold their soul to the devil in Robbinsville, Mississippi in exchange for talent and fame. <laughs> I'm serious. I forget the specifics. But anyway, back to you. So for you, recovery means no drinking. Um, yes. Yeah. I, I chose to stop smoking pot and like doing any kind of like uh, drugs. I suppose caffeine doesn't count. I, I'm... You know, I do a lot of coffee and energy drinks, but um, I, I chose to, my drug of choice always was, was the bottle for sure. With almost two years, just over two years of sobriety under your belt, what's next for you? Um, I think more continual growth. Um, part of, and I hadn't touched on this before, but part of my um, recovery and part of what I had to do when I was going through the court with this uh, criminal harassment charge was uh, I needed a psychological evaluation. And I got one, and it turns out that I suffer from what they call persistent depressive disorder. I suffer from adjustment disorder, and I suffer from alcohol use disorder. So th these are these are things that, that in recovery I, I really have tried to educate myself about and uh and work on i'm always trying to tear muscle and um and be a better person than i was yesterday and wake up being grateful uh to have no desire to drink to to wake up being grateful that you know my uh, my son's mother took me back into their house and into their lives full time and uh just trying to be you know the best father and partner that I know how to be. Through storytelling, we celebrate the heroic efforts of those who seek help when they need it without feeling ashamed or isolated. In fact, many popular superhero fiction characters got super high. When Iron Man lost his armor, the despair led Tony Stark into alcoholism. In Batman Legends of the Dark Knight, Batman took a mysterious venom that was supposed to make him stronger, but he spiraled out of control in the Batcave for a month. 
Captain America was technically always on drugs because he had some soldier superhero serum. And my point is, addiction is the one problem these superheroes can't miraculously fight off. Because no one is perfect. Whether it be a superhero, rock star, you or I. And it takes compassion to realize that, to support those who struggle from addiction. Addicts in the Dark is supported by Melissa Armstrong Coaching, one-on-one addiction coaching, group coaching, and workshops. Find out more at strongarm.ca. I'm Quick Nick. Thanks for listening.